This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. As you can see on the board, probably not going to be too much of a surprise what we discussed this morning. Woman, behold thy son. These are some of the last words that Jesus made while he was hanging on the cross. Have you ever thought about what your dying words may be? Just picture yourself this morning. If you were on your deathbed this morning, you knew that death was imminent, you're in a lot of pain, and you know that your time is short, and let's say the people that you are closest to were gathered around you, and you couldn't say much, you just physically couldn't, but what might your words be to those people? Because in a sense, that's the condition that Jesus was in while he was hanging on the cross, and he was looking down at some of the people that were most, or that were closest to him, to his own mother and to the apostle John, which you might say was his closest apostle or his best friend. So I want to explore what actually Jesus said here because I think there may actually be a bigger message that applies to all of us than just a a message just to these individuals that were with him as he hung on the cross. And it's helpful for me to look at the entire picture. Who was there? What was said? uh, What was going on? And I think it's helpful to, to understand the condition that Jesus was in. He had been crucified. And a lot of times... We might just glaze over that, that Jesus was put to death, that I'm guilty of it, just kind of thinking that Jesus is hanging there on the cross and he's preaching a sermon off of it while he's hanging on the cross. That's probably not the case because he was in unbelievable pain as he was hanging there. So I pulled up a, a short description. I found this on Wikipedia of crucifixion. And my, it's helpful for me to, from time to time to go back and look at what crucifixion actually is. It says here, crucifixion was most often performed to dissuade its witnesses from perpetrating similar, usually particularly heinous crimes. Victims were sometimes left on display after death as a warning to any other potential criminals. Crucifixion was usually intended to provide a death that was particularly slow, painful, hence the term excruciating, literally out of crucifying, gruesome, humiliating in public, using whatever means were most expedient for that goal. And it's really a sick thing if you look further into crucifixion at points in time when this brutal tactic was used, the soldiers would almost get bored with how they were crucifying people. They'd just find objects and nail people or nailing people to wood for them to suffer and die. It's It's a disgusting thing and fortunately we don't have that in our day and time, at least not in this country. It says also here, while a crucifixion was an execution, it was also a humiliation by making the condemned as vulnerable as possible. Despite its frequent use by the Romans, the horrors of crucifixion did not escape criticism by some eminent Roman orators. Cicero, for example, described crucifixion as a most cruel and disgusting punishment and suggested that the very mention of the cross should be far removed, not only from a Roman citizen's body, but from his mind, his eyes, his ears. Elsewhere, he says, it is a crime to bind a Roman citizen, to scourge him as wickedness, to put him to death as almost parasite. 
What shall I say of crucifying Him? So guilty an action cannot by any possibility be adequately expressed by any name bad enough for it. So I think that pretty much sums up what Jesus was going through. He was about to die. He was in excruciating pain as He uttered these words to those that stood by. For our first scripture this morning, I'd like to look at John chapter 19, verses 25 through 27, which say, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. So I want to look this morning at who, first of all, who these people were that he was speaking to. I want to look at first at the Apostle John, because he is described as the disciple who Jesus loves. John was one of the first disciples called to follow Jesus. And we know quite a bit about him from the scripture. We know what he did for a living. He was, his family was in the fishing business. We know a little bit about his parents. And we know a little bit about his character. We can read in Mark chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. And when he had gone a little further thence, this is talking about Jesus, when Jesus had gone on a little ways, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. So here we have the account of John. He had a brother named James, and they were both the sons of Zebedee. We also learn here that he's a fisherman, but he's not just a hired labor fisherman because it says, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants. So perhaps the family had a fishing operation, maybe a business of some sort, because they, they hired people to help them out. John's mother Salome is also mentioned several times, and we know that she was a faithful follower of Jesus. In Matthew 27, verses 55 and 56, we read this. And many women were there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him, which was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joses, and the mother of Zebedee's children. And then her name is mentioned in the parallel verses in Mark chapter 15, verses 40 and 41, which say this. There were also women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James the Less and of Joses, and Salome. So Salome is the mother of Zebedee's children. You also find that we're told here in John chapter 19, verse 25, it says that Jesus' mother was there, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, Mary Magdalene. Combine all those together. It appears that Salome, the mother of John, the wife of Zebedee, is also Jesus's. Mother Mary, it's her sister. So that would make Salome, Jesus' aunt, and the Apostle John, Jesus' cousin. We'll also read in Mark 16, verses 1 through 3. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came under the sepulcher at the rising of the sun, and they said among themselves, who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? So we see here that 
A little bit about John's family. We don't have much to go off of if, if his father, Zebedee, was, was a follower of Jesus, but we do know that his mother was. And also by tradition, those that were family members would come to the, the tomb of the dead with, uh, with spices to anoint the body. Going on about the Apostle John, he also knew the high priest. So I think John was not just a nobody. He did have some, you might say, connections. If we look at John chapter 18, verses 15 through 18, we read this. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest. I'll stop there because John had a tendency not to refer to himself, like just say, me, but he would say the disciple whom Jesus loved. Here he said, did another disciple. He was talking about himself. So we could read, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did John. John was known to the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. I don't think that just anybody could just walk into the palace of the high priest. They would have had to have been known, and John was known well enough that they'd permit him in. And he also gets Peter allowed in. Peter stood at the door without, or he was outside. Then went out that other disciple, or John, which was known to the high priest, and spoke to her that kept the door, and brought in Peter. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art, now, art not thou also one of this man's disciples? He saith, I am not. And the servants and officers stood there who made a fire of coals, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. You know, we read about, we have the Apostle Peter who comes into the equation here, and Peter kind of gets a bad rap because a lot of his mistakes are on display. But as we're going to read here, Peter was not the only apostle that had faults. All of these men were human, and they all had uh, their flaws. We're going to see some of these perhaps in John. Mark chapter 3 and verse 17 says, And James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, and he surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder. And I'm thinking, why would Jesus take two of the men he's called, these fishermen, why would he name them the sons of thunder? Perhaps they were short-tempered, perhaps they were really strong. I think we get a little bit of insight in a couple of examples that we can read. Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56 say this. And it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, Wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. I don't claim to be in the same league as the apostles. Perhaps none of us do. But I have a hard time as I look around this room, just for example, I'll take Dane and Kit. If they were in this position, I'd have a hard time imagining Dane telling Jesus, you want us to command fire and just burn these people up and wipe them out? 
But here we have two of the apostles, one of which, John, becomes the closest to Jesus saying this very thing. This is not just somebody talking about a criminal, hang him in the town square. This is an apostle saying, do you want us to command fire and just wipe these people out? And then what puzzles me also is this we business. Should we command fire? I mean, Jesus may have heard the expression, is there a mouse in your pocket? (laughs) What is this we business? Uh, Command fire? Did did they believe that they could command? I don't know what's going on there, but Jesus basically says, you don't even know what you're talking about. You don't know what manner of spirit you're of. So perhaps that's where they get the nickname Sons of Thunder. And let's not also forget the other example that these two brothers are known for in Mark 10, verses 35 to 41. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on the right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized with all shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. Again, pick on Dane again. <laughs> Can you imagine him, him and Kid are there and they say, hey, Jesus, do us a favor. Can you do this for us? And Jesus says, what do you want me to do? Can you imagine him saying, make us the greatest. Put us on your right hand and on your left. I think that some of us might be displeased with that. You know? But again, these are apostles, the, the men that were in Jesus' presence. In particular, talking about the one that was apparently closest to him, saying this, make me the greatest. Maybe again that goes into the sons of thunder. Now I want to look at at Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ. Most of the information we have of of Mary is, is around the birth of Jesus and the first chapters of the book of Matthew and Luke. So that's where I want to go first of all here with Luke chapter 1 verses 26 through 33. We read this about Mary. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. The angel came into her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Can you imagine being this young woman and an angel appears and tells you you're highly favored? Certainly not expected. And the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and they shall be called, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So this is where it all begins for Mary. She didn't ask for this, it was kind of thrown upon her, but 
what is going to happen to her has, had never happened before. The virgin birth never will happen again. She would have this virgin birth and then what a responsibility to have to raise the Son of God, bring Him up in your house. That's, that's a lot to, to take on for a young woman. Not to mention just the humiliation factor where you're not married and yet you're pregnant. There's a lot, a lot there that's put on Mary. In verse 38 of Luke 1, we read, And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. But I think we see with Mary's attitude, he, he got the right woman here. Because many women may have tried to get out of it. They may have not wanted it, but she seemed to take it on in good spirits. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. She was humble, she submitted to God, she was ready to carry out His will. And if you go on and read later in this chapter, she even praises God in a song. With that in mind, she was going to raise the Son of God, and then eventually, as we're going to see here in a moment, she was going to watch her son, her firstborn son, be tortured and put to death, and he did nothing wrong. That is a lot for anybody to, to go through, that burden. And in today's time, maybe even back then, people that didn't know God may tell Mary, look at what God did. He gave, you didn't ask for this, this child. He, took, he made you raise the child also you could watch him be brutalized and, and be nailed to the cross and die on the cross. Why would you continue to be faithful to that God? Again, God chose the right woman. This was a woman that was spiritually minded. We know that Mary was faithful even after Jesus was crucified. We read in Acts chapter 1 and 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brethren. So we see that Mary is certainly a spiritually minded woman. But it's, the, it's a couple of the other mentions of Mary that I really want us to focus on this morning. First of all, listen to this account involving Jesus' mother here. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. And while he, or while Jesus yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without or they were outside, desiring to speak with him. Then one said to him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with, with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother, and who are my brethren? Now, I imagine this person that told Jesus this was probably a little confused. Hey, you're, Jesus, your mom and your brothers are outside. They want to talk to you. And Jesus just says, Well, who is, who's my mother? Who's my brethren? And how do you, how do you answer that? And Jesus stretched forth his hand towards his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus was not disowning his mother. He wasn't putting his mother down. But he was proving a point that his family was spiritual in nature. Those that do the will of God. Now remember this thought because we're going to come back to this shortly. The other mention of Mary is when Jesus says the words that we're looking at this morning. When her and John are at the cross. And again, remember the circumstances. Jesus was in excruciating pain. He was about to die when he tells 
Mary and John these things. In our society today, here in America, we don't have a lot of contact with death. We don't see people dying in the streets. Uh, we hear of tragedy, but a lot of times we don't ex experience it. Uh, outside of maybe somebody dying in a hospital, probably not many of us, if any, that have witnessed somebody die right before our eyes. And it's a tragic thing when you hear those accounts uh, of people that witness somebody, especially that they love, die in front of their eyes. I'll never forget a story. I, there was a coworker that I had several years ago, and he told me this story. And he said he, when he was a kid, he was at a friend's house. And he said there was a pool in the backyard, and the kid's brother was out there. And the brother drowned while he was in this house, and he told me, he said, I will never forget the sound that that mother made when she found out that her son had drowned. I wasn't even there, but that story kind of gave me chills because can you imagine going through that to watch your child die or to find out that your child had di has died? You know, we hear a lot of uh, parents who never have to bury their child because it's just not... It doesn't, almost doesn't seem right that a, that a child dies before their parent. But we know that there's a lot of parents that, there's a lot of young children that are dealing with cancer and other illnesses. And to me, that's just the saddest thing I can probably think of. Parents that are helpful, that are watching their innocent child go through this pain and die. Now, Jesus was not a young kid but he was an innocent child, and Mary was left to watch her innocent child die this awful death. And as we read, crucifixion was not, it was meant to humiliate. It was meant to be a slow death. Think about Mary and just how helpless she was feeling at that time while her son hung on the cross. And also John, he was the disciple that Jesus loved. He was so close to Jesus. And here, you have been with Jesus, your Lord and Savior. He has done so much for you. But here you are, and He is a bloody mess nailed to this wood, and you stand there helpless. You can't help Him. You're just watching Him suffer and about to die. John chapter 19, verses 25-30. through 30. And there stood by the cross of Jesus His mother and His mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother, and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Remember, Jesus can hardly speak in this condition. He can hardly breathe, pretty much, but he can hardly speak. Crucifixion was meant to make the victim suffer and feel pain until your body died, and that would usually take a long time. It was not an instant death. It usually took probably several days for somebody to die. But it was not the nails that were driven through you. It was, they were, you would die 
from not being able to catch your breath. Or at least that was part of it. One doctor explains it as this. As Jesus sagged down on the nails in the hands, excruciating, fiery pain shot along the fingers and up the arms to the brain. So picture as he's hanging there, however he was hanging with those nails through him, that weight comes down and it's just unimaginable pain. I've read in other accounts that that nerve that it hits is like the most painful nerve that you can hit in your body. So as he sags down, this fiery pain shoots up to his brain. And as he pushed himself upward, so now as he would be trying to speak, he'd try to be pushing himself upward, but he's not just pushing himself up on a platform. He's got nails or a nail driven through there. So he's pushing up on a nail that is through the nerves in his feet. As he pushed himself upward, he placed his full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, there was searing agony as the nail tore through the nerves in his feet. As the arms fatigued, great waves of cramps swept over the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. Jesus would have to fight to raise himself up, rubbing his wounded back against the wood of the cross just to get one short breath. Spasmodically, he was able to push himself upward to excel and bring in life to exhale and bring in life-giving oxygen. It was undoubtedly during these periods that he uttered the seven short sentences that are recorded, one of which is what we're focused on this morning, his message to Mary and John. As I thought about this, you know, Jesus didn't say, he couldn't have said very much on the, he physically couldn't have said very much on the cross. Why did he say these words? And why would he tell his mother look, your son, to someone who wasn't her child. Because I think what we're seeing here is Jesus is not saying, mother, look at me. He kind of detaches himself with that. He says, behold, or he says, woman, behold thy son. I I don't think he's saying, mom, look at me. Look at what they've done to me. He's saying, woman, behold thy son. And then he turns right around and tells John, Look, your mother. But John was not Mary's son. To me, that was very interesting as I had never really thought about that before. Is there something that, is there a message here that we should learn from? First of all, it may have been a message of comfort because Jesus knows what Mary has gone through. Would he really be telling his mother, look at this bloody mess, look at how much pain I'm going through, look what they've done to your son. She's already suffering just more than we can imagine. I don't think Jesus would have rubbed salt in the wounds. If he would have stopped and just said, behold your son, perhaps maybe that was just a personal message to her. But he doesn't. He goes on to tell John pretty much the same message. Look at your mother. So in a way, he kind of shifts the focus off of himself and puts it on his two disciples. He wants them to behold and consider one another, look after one another, love one another. And that is certainly a teachable moment for all of us. And Jesus says shortly thereafter, it is finished. There was nothing that Mary or John could have done. He didn't want them to do anything other than take care of each other afterwards. He knew that they were seeing the worst that man had to offer. There was 
Never a time in history did this kind of disgrace happen. And they were right. They were kind of victims themselves. Their loved one had this happen to them. They were seeing the worst that man had ever been guilty of. But he was, I think he was trying to give us a message that consider what the best man has to offer, to love one another, to love God. Remember in Matthew chapter 12, we read that he answered to him that told him, who is my mother, who are my brethren? He stretched forth his hand towards his disciples and he said, behold, this is my family, this is my mother and my brethren. Whoever does the will of my father, that's my family. It almost seems like these instructions, these words are a fulfillment of this teaching. Maybe he makes this statement to fulfill this because he, he in a way, makes Mary and John family members just before his death. If you look at the four points that Jesus makes between this example where they're saying, hey, your mother and your brother are outside, and the example when he's on the cross, he says these things. He says, who is my mother? Who are my brethren? He says, behold my mother and my brethren. When he's on the cross, he says, woman, behold your son. He tells John, behold your mother. And back to the other example, whoever shall do the will of my father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. In a physical sense, John and Mary, they were losing Jesus. He was not coming off of that cross. But perhaps Jesus was telling them don't think about losing me. I'm about to, to pass from this. I don't, your life doesn't end here. Don't think about the loss that you're going through. But realize you still have each other. I'm about to be gone. Behold your mother. Behold your son. Take care of one another. I will be there with you spiritually speaking. I won't be with you in the flesh, but I will be there. Realize you still have each other. Don't die with me on this cross. You know, we never forget a loved one that's passed away. We certainly don't forget about Jesus Christ. But we don't die with them. We remember them. We carry their memory on with us. And we do good to those that we love while we still, for those we still have with us. You know, if John would have said, would have demanded the Roman soldiers I love Jesus, crucify me right here. I want to be right beside Him. What would that have proven? That was not what Jesus wanted Him to do. He gave Him a very specific message in the moment, take care of your mother. John wouldn't have gone on to help establish the church. He wouldn't have written the books that we have in the Bible. You know, He wouldn't have done those things if He would have just died with Jesus Christ there physically in the flesh. It's not about what have I done. That's not, the, that's not the question. Not what have I done. It's about what am I doing. Jesus doesn't want us to, to dwell on the past. Just as the Apostle John and the other apostles, Jesus worked something in them to make them the great men that they become, became. If the focus would have been living in the past, I've done all these awful things, they wouldn't have achieved what they achieved. It's what am I doing right now today? What am I doing?
As we consider these words, it seems like more than just a comfort for Mary and John. It certainly was that, I believe, that he was trying to console them, but I believe it was much more. If the two people closest, in the two people closest to him, Jesus shows that family is not just about the related group. Family is not just about genetics. Family, the family of Christ, is about the spiritual family, those that do the will of God. Don't mourn over what I've lost. Don't think about your past, but consider treasure what we have. Now, I think we all are kind of guilty in that, but looking, beating ourselves over up the sins that we've committed, treasure what I have. As Jesus was in agony there, he was telling Mary and John, those closest to him, don't mourn over me. Treasure each other. You still have each other. And this morning, we still have each other. Behold your mother and your brothers. I'll close with this final passage. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 and 11. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Jesus tasted death for every person in here this morning. For it became Him for whom, all, whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both He that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. What a blessing that is that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the Son of God, He is not ashamed to call you His brother, His sister, His mother. As, as we've learned this morning, who, he, he asks, who is my brother? Who is a family member with Jesus Christ? It is those that do the will of God. At this time, we offer an invitation. You know, Jesus Christ, as we read this morning, He went through unbearable pain. But in a way, take advantage of that. He did not do that just to prove a point. He did that because our sin required a sacrifice of that magnitude. He gives an invitation, come to me, I will heal you. I am the great physician, I will heal you. Take advantage of that invitation. Don't let, it, don't let His sacrifice go to waste. At this time, we'll stand and sing an invitation song. If you are ready to obey the Gospel, if you understand what baptism is, we urge you to take that step because none of us are guaranteed another breath of life. We're here this morning where we have, behold, there is water behind us. The only hindrance is yourself and don't be that hindrance to yourself. If you've already been baptized and maybe you need the the prayers of the church, this invitation is also for you. Uh, please make your wishes known if you be of either case while we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.